Unless something shine going out of my fucking mind Filthy mouth, no excuse Find a new place to hang this noose String me up from atop these roofs Not a tight so I won't get loose Truth is you can stop and stare Run myself out and no one cares Cut the trench out, lay down there With a shovel up out of reach somewhere Yeah, someone pour it in Make it a dirt dance floor again Saying prayers and stop it out When they bring that chorus in I bleed it out, Oh my gosh, I love this track. Rest in peace, Chester. Had the good pleasure of being able to see Lincoln Park a couple of times live. Every time it was outstanding. One time they did the collision course with Jay-Z. Awesome gig. But um, okay. Welcome to another episode of Echo Chamber. Let's get into the UK box office for the weekend of the 12th to the 14th of April. Alright, at number 10, we have Missing Link. Still in the top 10, and at number 9, we have The Fantastic Us. At number 8, we've got Little. At number 7, Pet Cemetery. At number 6, Wild Rose still in the top 10 going strong at number five we have Captain Marvel at number four Hellboy at number three Wonder Park down to number two this week we have Shazam and back to number one we got Dumbo Oh, okay. So, um, people, listen. This is a longer episode than normal because I had the good pleasure to sit down and talk to Beyond Existence director Schumann Hoke. Um, it's a long interview. It's a fun interview, though. Um. There's a lot of coughing, <laughs> so apologies for that. And because we were outside, there's a, a little bit of banging, but for most part, I you know, I don't. Th- I think it's pretty clear, and I think you will enjoy it. So, um, we're gonna get into the reviews. We're then gonna do the interview, and then we're gonna close as we do. Okay, enjoy, people. Okay, people, actually, before we get to the reviews, Burning Wheel Productions are pleased to announce that Danny Boyle, um, who you know from Trainspotting, Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, has joined the feature production Creation Stories as executive producer. Um, It was penned by acclaimed novelist Irvin Welsh, who also wrote Train Spotting, and it's based on music mogul Alan McGee's autobiography, The Creation Records Story Riots, Raves, and Running a Label. Uh, new additions to the cast include Rupert Everett, uh, Suki Waterhouse, uh, and Jason. Fleming, 
Ewan Bremier. Uh, yeah. And, um, it's, uh, you know, going around, um, the fact that McGee, um, on his record label, you know what I mean, he had, um, it kind of launched iconic bands such as Oasis, Primal Scream, uh, The Jesus and The Mary Chain. So, you know, standing at the forefront of the Britpop movement and selling over 60 million records worldwide is a story of relentless ambition, mental torment, drugs, bankruptcy, unfathomable wealth, courting politicians and the how one written off young Glaswegian upstart rose to irrevocable change the face of British culture. Yeah, so that is, um, I mean, that's pretty, pretty interesting. And all those that are, uh, you know, fans of, you know, that that 90s wave of British music. And I guess you say the 80s when you're talking about, um, you know, Primal Scream and Jesus and the Mary Chain. You know, if you are a fan of all of that. You, you, I think this is definitely, um, definitely the film for you, right? So, um, hey, keep keep your ears open for uh, for this. There's there's no word of when it will come out. I'm thinking maybe next year, but who knows, right? All right, now the reviews. Right, so the film I watched, um. Recently was Red Joan. Uh, this is from director Trevor Nunn, uh, written by Lindsay Shapiro, and it is starring Judy Dench, Sophie Cookson, Tom Hughes, uh, Teresa Saboza. Yeah, I, I I think that's how you. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And um, Stephen Campbell Moore. So the um, general uh, story is English-born Joan Stanley, a Soviet and Communist Party sympathizer, becomes employed as a British government civil servant and gets recruited by the KGB in the mid-1930s. She successfully transfers nuclear bomb secrets to the Soviet Union, um, which enables them to keep up with the West in the development of atomic weapons and remains undetected as a spy for over half a century. Yeah, I mean, this is a true story. This actually, um, it actually happened. And the the film is based 
on a book about, uh, you know, about what happened, basically. Um, the book is, you know, the same name, and it's by Jenny Rooney, um, and it came out, um, well, it came on Audible on the 27th of February 2013, um, I don't know if that was the actual same date of, you know, uh, physical publication, but, um, yeah, there you go. Right, so, um, yeah, well, I mean, we've seen a lot of films kind of set around this time and dealing with things that happened in the war, you know, like, um, you you had films about the whole in, 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 encryption process. Um, we've had pic, films about you know people on the front line and stuff like that. And we've had like things like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. Uh, so it's interesting to get another look. You know, see situations from a different point of view. And uh, I, I think, so basically, you know, I think the film starts with the police coming for um, for Joan. Yeah, so that's how we start, you know, this little old lady. And you're like, oh, what's going on here? You know, uh, and then when she's in, um, you know, the, the uh, interrogation room and she's being asked questions... That's when we kind of get transported back, and um, you know we we kind of see situations from uh, from those times, and you know you you get a kind of a look into what's been going on, you know. So she's at um, university, she's at Cambridge, and. Um, we we kind of see how relationships start getting formed and how someone could possibly become infatuated with the uh, with, with the KGB with with Russia with communism you know you, you get that kind of look so i i think um uh, uh, the film looked good, um, you know, it, it especially in the past scenes, you know, it looked like it was of the time, I would have, I would probably have liked a slight maybe change in the filter from the present day, you know, just give it that kind of, um, Ah, oh, I forget the name of you know when you when you filter fo photos and it has that kind of yellowy. No, so so not that, but you you understand. You know what I mean? When you see an old photo, it has that kind of grainy kind of texture, that grainy kind of look. It would, I think, maybe if the film had kind of used a similar thing that would have helped as well to set the tone but i mean you did understand you know what i mean you did it did feel like it was um in the full in the 30s in the 40s you know you you did get that that wasn't really an issue with this uh i think 
some of the things were though it's it's a story it's an interesting story you know it, it it's something that is pretty crazy you know that this woman got sucked into this world and then went undercover for so long like who would have guessed it you know what i mean who would have guessed that it, it's it, it's crazier than some of the storylines that you see in a James Bond film. But the film doesn't suck you into that world. That was the uh, that's the kind of issue I had with this film. You know, it looked good. The acting was good. Um, some of the ac- accents were a little iffy. But, you know, the acting was good. But I didn't buy into some of the things. Like, I didn't buy um, Joan's relationship with her son. Like, you just didn't didn't really buy it. There didn't seem anything there. It was all very... It was very cold. So when something happens at the very end, I'm a bit like, but Why? I don't really see why that happened. Like, you haven't explained it enough for me to go, of course, yes, I see. Um, then there was, like, Joan, like, she, she, you know, she's played well for the most part. But at the very beginning of the film, she's all very timid. She's very timid. She wouldn't say boo to a goose. Um, I believe that's an expression. Yeah. She wouldn't say boo to a goose. Then all of a sudden, she's just like, oh, I'll do this thing. I'll, I'll sneak you the papers. I'll take photos for you. I, you know what I mean? I'll do this. And it's a bit like, I, I don't think enough was done to really show you why this happens. You know what I mean? They're like... You, you, yes, she's in love with a guy and he gets taken away. But, like, he, you know, he's detained on the Isle of Wight. It's not like he's thrown in a jail. It, it's, it's not like, you know what I mean, if he was Jewish in Germany or that part of Europe and he's going into a concentration camp. It's on the Isle of friggin' Wight, people. Um... So it, it, it it's a bit like alright, but when you know I mean she won't do anything and then all of a sudden she's like super spy. I, d- I just didn't buy that. And like you know what I, mean? I think that can happen, but there's a lot that goes on before you get to B. You know what I mean? It's not A B simple. There's a there's a windy road there. And we didn't see that windy road. Um, yeah, and then I think it's her relationship with... Um, I think it's Max. I believe it's Max, the uh, lead scientist who she's helping out. That whole relationship, it was just... Like, you saw it coming. But I like it was a bit like, but why? Like, I don't why explain that to me please i don't see it yeah 
so yeah i think all the upper stuff was fine but when it came to the emotion of the film i i wasn't sold on that aspect you know it it didn't carry the weight of things like munich you know what i mean like that whoa yeah you're you're in you know what I mean? you're tied in on that shit but this yeah wasn't wasn't sold on a, on on those parts of the film um but you know i i i think it's interesting so the information that you find out that's all interesting so i would say probably you know what i mean if you're into a, a kind of a spy type film if you like stuff like um i guess you know what i mean your tinker taylor soldier spies your 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 munichs your argos if you like that fair of film if you like if you like the um imitation game um yeah bowsy park if 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 these things interested you then i i I think possibly red joan might be what you're looking for you know it's not action-packed but there is interest there you know what i mean but yeah there is interest i guess there's intrigue and um then it's just you know what I mean it, it's meant to be the sensibilities of the characters that then sell you but uh i don't know i i, I mean the i think these kind of things are very um you know it, it 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 depends on what you like to how well you you kind of feel certain things are portrayed for me the emotion wasn't there but you, you know what I mean you may love it so yeah red joan check it out well if you remember last week's episode i um I, you know i i i mentioned that on saturday amazon prime would be showing donald glover rahana's new film guava island so I figured, you know what, let me, let me check this out, okay, so, um, it's directed by Hiro Mari, uh, it's his directorial debut, written by Stephen Glover, and it is starring Donald Glover, Rihanna, Letitia Wright, and Nancy Anuzi. Um, you know, I I think it's um got a lot of people that work on Atlanta working and collaborating on this film, and the essentially the plot is a tropical thriller that casts Donald Glover as a musician with designs on pulling off a scheme to rob his way into the good life which quickly gets him in over his head i would say that 
is completely wrong in so many ways. Like, it's not a tropical thriller. That And that gets mentioned a lot in the promo press for this. It was shot in Cuba. So, yes, it's, it's in a tropical place. It's not a thriller, though. And Donald Glover isn't stealing anything in this. You know, so that's just a, a weird... Uh, just a weird thing to say yeah it's kind of bizarre very um yeah i don't know it's a it's a weird one but um so it's essentially this was coming off of the back of glover's performance at coachella as his childish gambino persona uh so um yeah i mean they were showing the film at coachella I think for a few days, but um, yeah, it was on Amazon for a few hours, so I figured I'd watch it. Uh, and hmm, I like there's a lot of music in this, and it's only 55 minutes, which I definitely feel is the benefit of the film, you know. Uh, there's I mean, it, it, it's pretty much centered on Donald Glover's character, which which is uh, Demi Maroon, and um, you know, I, like essentially, Demi is he like he's a musician, and wherever he goes, he's got his guitar on his back. Everyone on the island knows him. So, you know, he's like, oh, Demi, Demi, and he's waving, and he sings little songs. And, yeah, basically, whenever he's on screen, there is music playing, or he's singing, humming, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and they work on on, on um, Guava Island for you know, like the silk trade, basically, and that's all owned by Red Cargo, who's, um, Nunzi Anunzi, uh, he controls the island, uh, and, and everyone works seven days a week, so kind of crazy, but, uh, um, it's, so it's Demi's idea to put on a music festival, um, so everyone can finally actually relax and chill and really kind of experience the island how it should be. But Red Cargo hears of this and he's like, listen, all right, I like your music, but if you do this festival, then no one will be at work the next day. That's going to stop production and it interferes with my bottom line. So, how about this? I give you this money and you disappear. So, that was, like, the gist of the film. Like, one weird thing is, like, it's not a festival. He's not putting on a festival. Because it's only him singing. That, that, that's it. It's only him. So, you're just doing a gig. You're doing a nighttime gig gig 
that see, this is like it's a lot of weird things that's going on, and uh, and it's just like, wait, it's not a festival, like what? Um, so yeah, there, there, there's this, um, and yeah, Red Cargo's not happy, and he's just like, yeah, you can't put this festival on, but Demi for some reason is like, no, I'm putting on the festival, and yeah, I think. The, so, you know, the film is kind of navigating around this one theme. But it, it it's essentially, like, this is essentially, um, like those old Beatles films that are nothing. There's no real storyline, but it's just an excuse to play music, all the music from a certain Beatles album, you know? Because that was it. They, you, we just had a lot of childish Gambino songs. You know, they they, they managed to skew in. This is America, and just a lot of the songs. You know, which was fine. Which was fine. And I, the only problem is right. So you've got childish Gambino singing, and he's he's not a great singer. I mean, let's be honest. He's he's not a great singer, but it's this thing now that where, like, rappers sing, and you don't have to be a great singer, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing my thing, listen, but what's weird is, you have Rihanna in the film, who is a great singer, never sings, never given the opportunity to sing, so that's odd, that's, you know, that's really odd, and Re- and the other thing is, she's not really needed in this film at all. Like, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, really just takes centre stage. He is in everything. He He's all over the film. He has the most, and, like, significantly the most airtime. So, all the other people, they're very... Like, to say they're one-dimensional is probably not even right, they don't even have a dimension, they're they're that little explored as characters, you know, like, Rihanna's character, Kofi, she talks about, uh, for a a little bit about dreams and stuff, and that's all forgotten, you know, she's just kind of navigating around Donald Glover, she's, you know, a satellite to, to Donald Glover's planet, that, that's what, you know that that's how it seems to work, and that that is the problem with the film. It's not really a film; it's just an extended music video. Like Donald Glover, he he's acting is up up and down during the film. We gotta say that like his accent is like sometimes there, sometimes not. Um, and. Because no one else is really getting any play. When you see him, like, there's these kids. Oh, there's a a terrible scene where these kids try to mug him. Which is a weird thing. Because they don't have any weapons. And it's just like, we're mugging you. And he knows who they are. And it's just like, you're not, what? And he's just like, oh, instead of mugging me, why don't I let you sit up front at the concert? And you're like, okay. 
Uh, but the whole interchange is so clunky. And th- there's a lot of that. This clunky dialogue. These clunky interchanges. Like just the film. It doesn't really flow. You know. It, it's it's not. Uh, it's just not the best. And at the end. Actually I can't talk about the end. It's just weird. It's like the last bits of scene. It's just kind of weird. Because it's a bit like. Wait, why wouldn't he have heard? Really? Like, how can that... He would have heard. And that was the kind of thing that was baffling me. And also, like, he knows the island. So surely... Yeah. But, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Um, Now, listen, right? There's a lot of these kind of things out there. There's a lot of these musical kind of films... That aren't really story based, story driven. It's just about the songs. It's about that. If you like those things, you know, if you're a fan of those Beatles films, those those Elvis films, you know, all of that kind of stuff, this will be for you, you know? Because, yeah, it's got some nice songs and stuff in it. It's got that kind of happy vibe to it. So if that's your thing, you'll love it. You know, you will love it. But if you were looking for a tropical thriller, yeah, this isn't really for you, I'm afraid. But um, you know, I'm sure you'll be able to find one on Netflix or Amazon. So it's fine. Okay, so I'm here with Schumann Hope. And um, we're going to be talking about his new film, Beyond Existence. Um, I I spoke about it a few weeks ago because they were having a um, a Kickstarter to kind of raise funds to finish off the film. So, um, yeah, I thought what better than to talk to the director himself to find out about the project and how everything is going on. So, um, human. Thank you for um, meeting. Um, and hey, just let's give us an overview of uh, like what's happening so far. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so we decided to, well, myself and uh, Stephen and Claire, who's the producers and one of the writers, uh, decided to make a film because we've always wanted to make a film. And we've been in the industry for years doing commercials and content and which is great you know it's fun it pays the bills but it's not what we started out to do um so yeah we just put our money together and made a film (laughs) and uh yeah it's it's good you know we've come a long way we've shot it it's all edited it's picture locked it's being mixed it's being graded um and we just need a little bit more help getting the vfx done okay um so, I what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, like, the beginning in a sec. But, all right, so what made you decide to go the Kickstarter route rather than, I don't know, maybe approach, um, like, someone like a Netflix and Amazon? Because you've got, it's basically, you've got the project done. So, you know what I mean? You can show them, look, this 
we're done. We just need a little bit extra. So what made you decide not to go that route? Um, I think the funny thing about the industry is that I feel like the, the goalposts of what you need to get a film out there keep moving. So years ago, you'd shoot a short, someone would say, that's great, here's some money, turn it into a feature. You know, well, it wouldn't be that simple, but you, it was a process. You yeah. could do that. You, yeah, but you see that a lot, I mean, especially when you look on IMBD. There's the, the, a, a short version that was made a few years before, and then suddenly the, a, a full version turns up kind of thing. Exactly. But I think these days, I think because you know the, the, everyone's getting more risk-averse, we don't want to take risks anymore, and people are less willing to invest in potential these days. They want to... They want you to have proven yourself. So I think for us, even though the film is in a really good stage and it's got some good feedback, I think the reality is if we if we took it to anyone, any distributors, sales agents, things like that, they'd just turn around and go, yeah, it looks great. Come back to us when it's finished. Um, and then, you know, that's, that, that's just the reality of the industry, I think. So for us, it was, we thought, you know, we've got something that it's, it's not like other um, indie, we're actually on Indiegogo uh, but it's not like other film projects which generally seem to be about I've got an idea help me make this film um, you know for us it was more a case of actually we've got this thing which is pretty much done we've got a trailer which we think really shows how good the film kind of already is and um, and how just with a little bit more help, we could actually get it over the line, and then, then we'd be ready to take it to people, take it to festivals, and sort of, you know, see how the film plays once it's out in the big world, big wide world. Okay, I mean, yeah, no, that all makes sense. I'm, I, I, yeah, the whole risk averse. Oh, you know, we were getting Bad Boys Free, Men in Black. I don't know, four or something. They keep a reboot in Aliens and Predator. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, I, I think there was a time when you saw more new ideas from the big studios. Like, I've, I think people sometimes talk about, like, film being dead. I don't think that's true. I, I think we still see new ideas, but from smaller studios... And I do believe that with the streaming platforms entering the film, we're getting more smaller ideas. You know, I don't think we would have got something like Bird Box or Unicorn Store from one of the big studios. So I, I think that's very good. But yeah, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Like, how much... Um, is left on the goal? Like, how much more do you think you'll need to be able to finish things off? Um, I think we're still actually quite a way. At the moment, we're about, we're at 10%. Um, so there's still quite a long way to go. But, you know, the, the thing about this level of filmmaking is that every little helps. It's, that's, it's as simple as that. You know, we've, we've managed to get some incredible favours from some incredibly talented people that are, you know, we've, we've got access to to the kind of studios that people will pay unbelievable amount of money for in terms of the sound and the editing and the grading. Um, and we've sort of just run out of favours, you know. It's like there's only so many people you can go to. And, and it's just got to the point where, you know, we need some help. And 
you know, and I think it's always tricky on these sort of things. You're, you know, like why should someone help us? You know, there's mm. there's always that thing of like, well, why should we help you? Um, and it's a very fair fair question. I think, like you're saying, like there is a real lack of original filmmaking these days. I think, as in, a completely original sort, of, you know, not based mm. on any sort of properties or any sort of thing. And this is one of those films. And I think also within the British film industry. I think we see so little these days that you know it's almost like your Cockney gangster movies, which again, like some of them are great and they're really fun to watch. But I feel like we can. There's a lot more scope, I think, within British film than what we currently mm. have, and we feel like this is one of those films. It's a British film. You know, it's very much British characters, and it's set on British, you know, landscapes and British environments, but it isn't your typical British film. I think there's something to be said about making that kind of film. So that's kind of, you know, why we started this campaign really. It's also and also just to sort of, you know, build a bit of a following for the film, see what people think of it and you know, test the reaction. So so yeah. Okay. Um have you factored in um <clears throat> what you can do with different percentages that were raised. So if it w works out that you only make like 50%, like you, fit, you, you know, right, we can do this with that. Uh, you yeah, know, absolutely, absolutely. It's a case of um, like m the majority of the, the money that we need is for finishing VFX. Um, you know, and it's got to the point where I've, you know, I've, the great thing about technology in terms of where we are now in filmmaking is that I've actually spent a lot of time in the last year actually learning how to composite and green screen and do that sort of stuff. So I've actually done a lot of the shots that, you know, we started off with like 450 shots that needed some sort of effects work. Mm. And we're now down to, I think, 200. Um, so, you know, it's sort of, and, and then there's certain things we're learning how to do, myself and Stephen, the producer, we're sort of going, okay, we'll figure this out. So, yeah. but it's a case of, the more money we have, the more we can actually pay people who do this every day and who've got real experience to do it to, you know, a, an even better standard than we could. And to be said, I'm quite surprised with what we've managed to do because I think stuff just come so far. You know, you've, there's, I remember trying to do green screen 10 years ago and it was, you know, I mean, you really needed to know what you needed. You really needed to know what you were doing. And we're now at a point where you know, we're using Boris Effects and we're using Primat Studio, which has got incredible sort of algorithms and, you know, it's all built in. You just click on it and it, you know, you still need to make sure you've lit it well and do all that, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't need to be as perfect as it used to be because it does a lot for you. And then it's just tweaking and, you know, figuring out your reflections and your plates and just giving it that sort of, it's about making it not distracting, I think. That's what it is. So you can just keep watching the story. So for us, it's a case of, however much money we get in we can start allocating that to certain shots that we feel like actually those shots we can't do you know we're gonna have to pay someone to do those shots mm. um and you know we just you can still get favors out there but i think with vfx it's such a time you know time um intensive process that there's just the certain that the people that do it you know they need to get paid yeah. you know yeah, it's yeah, uh yeah. because 
and I think also just because I think a lot of the time their work goes unseen, so it's kind of harder to to show off. You know, just kind of go, look, here's what here's what I did. And they, you kind of need to show what it was before people can appreciate what they've done to it. So, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how we're gonna allocate whatever kind of funds we get is basically just putting it towards that. Okay, and are the shots like remaining to that need to work? Have you kind of broken those down to? okay if we get this much we can do this to it or we compare the scene down to this and you've broken it down like that uh, yes exactly we've, we've basically we've got the the wish list for this is what we'll do to this shot these are all the effects that we'll put in and then there's like okay we don't can't afford that we do this and then it's if we can't do that we go back but the thing is what we, what we did that i think was has really served us well is that we went to really great locations so we have an environment called um this it's, it's like well i don't want to give away too much but it's basically this very strange sort of dimension um which is kind of like a very alien it's just a strange environment to be in but luckily we shot that in a space which is really sort of great so even without yeah. any effects it looks pretty good um and the effects are just about raising it to another level so you know that's that's kind of why we're able to sort of go okay this much we can do this this much we can do that nothing okay we just do a little little bit of tweaking with what we can do ourselves with the plugins that we have available to us and it's still going to be you know an, an effective piece of, of cinema really it's going to be it's going to be visually interesting and intriguing because it kind of already is it just you know, and I think that's, all, that's, that's one advice I'd definitely give if you're going to do anything that's sort of sci-fi or VFX-based. If you can start from something that looks pretty intriguing or impressive, you know, anything you do above that is just going to increase that. Yeah. So you, you shot the film in Croydon, is that what you're saying? Oh, we shot. We shot it. Actually, we shot it in London, uh, Kent, and Suffolk. But in Suffolk, we were in a place called RAF Bentwaters, which is—it's just incredible. It's an, it's an amazing, amazing, huge former nuclear um, airbase, oh, and okay. it's now like just got lots of different businesses and lots of different areas. But what it means is that you can—it's one. Ma I mean, it's huge. You know, it takes like you know, seven, eight minutes to drive from one end of it to the other. So it's a huge complex. Mm. But, you know, you can... Like we've, we've got seven or eight different locations in the film that are actually all based there. Um, you know, and it's sort of... Um, it's, it's an incredible place. And they, 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 they really helped us out, you know, and just in terms of making it possible for us to make the film. Okay. So was that a big thing? When you were looking for locations, you were looking for places that could double up on on your different shots and your scenes and so there's a, an economy of you know what i mean like time when doing everything uh, absolutely absolutely i mean essentially you know if you're shooting on a studio lot you know you'd have you know the, the street that you've been shooting is over there the the other street is over there the you know the 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 sound studio where you're doing the interior is over there, so it's all within each other. And right, luckily, right. even though we're on a, we're a very low budget film, well, no budget in fact, um, uh, 
we we had for, for when we were at RAF, RAF Bentwaters, we kind of had that studio feel to it because it was like, okay, today we're shooting at this part, to, and then the next day we're shooting over there, and this afternoon we're going to go over to there. But it was all within a few minutes of each other. So it made it, I think it allowed us to achieve a lot more than I think we would have been able to, basically. So, you know, I don't think we could have made the film unless we had that sort of incredible location where we managed to mm. make everything by essentially being in one place okay so all right let's let's get to the i guess the birth of this all all right so you've been in the industry you've been doing a lot of tv stuff and then you thought all right let, let's get this film popping so what like were you sitting on this idea for a time or you came together with um, Stephen and then you thought of an idea in unison? Like, how did that and why now? Uh, well, we... So, I met Stephen many years ago now, um, but we... He had a project called The King's Men, which was a poker thriller. Great script and, you know, he very kindly asked me to come on board as director and we shot a proof of concept trailer for it uh, which got over two million views on uh, YouTube and it got picked up by a few poker blogs and people seemed really keen and we were like great we can go and get some money and make this film and we took it to a lot of investors um, but essentially they were all like yeah it's, it's, this is great but you haven't made a feature film so right. you know we're not going to put any money in your film um, and so we were like okay we need we need to make a movie. We need to prove that we can do this. So, you know, we kind of like scratched our heads. We were thinking, what should we do? And I, I kind of thought, okay, most low budget films, like two or three characters in two or three different locations. And I thought, how can we make that? How can we make the most of that? And then I just kind of thought, okay, what if we've got two people on a road trip? Actually, you know, we, they can spend most of their time in a car, but which is almost like one location, but then we can always go from one place to another and we can mm. get this visual sense and open up and come out of the car when we need to or when the story dictates. Um, and then from that idea, I came up with the character of like a, a cantankerous sort of scientist and a young female agent that had, where they have to travel to a secret location. And that's all it was, but I kind of mentioned that to Claire and Stephen and they were both really excited by that. And um, and then Stephen sort of took that bare bones idea, and it does what he does as a great writer. He just sort of fleshed it out, you know, made it quite epic, and sort of really gave it a a really high concept thriller sort of structure and pace to it. And we were like, okay, great, this is this is something that we can do. And then you know, we still took a couple of years. So we thought, okay, this is really low budget. Maybe we can get money for this. And, and again, you just run into the same problem. Everyone's mm. like, well, you haven't made a feature, so we're not going to invest in your feature. And so we just thought, okay, let's invest in ourselves. And that's what we did. You know? And it all came, once we made that decision, it happened very, very quickly. Um, and we kind of, yeah, we just, it just, everything just sort of fell into place and we shot it. And, you know, thankfully it all went well. Yeah, we had a good, good, amazing team. Um, that, yeah, 
that, that's kind of how we got there, yeah. Okay, I mean, did you try, like, I always, like, you go to certain events and things like that, and you, you know, they always, like, oh, people are, like, thanking the BFI fund, or the Film 4 fund, and the Rain Dance fund, and all of this kind of thing, and you're like, I've never heard of all these funds, like, like, were any of those open to you? Um, they are, but I think, and they're great, I think they're, it's really important that those kind of funds exist, and I think, it's definitely something that you should pursue if you're, you know, if you if you really want to make a film. Um, it is it is it is definitely something that's worth doing. But I think for us, it was sort of, um, you know, you can spend six six months, eight months, a year, you know, putting together a proposal for these sort of funds and then not get it. Mm. You know, and then it's like okay, it's been a year now. What do we do? And it's like, well, you go to another fund. And so I think for us, it was because we, we'd had, you know, we'd had sort of done that training and we, because we were professionals and we knew lots of people, we sort of thought, okay, we could spend six months, you know, trying to win some funding or we could actually take these six months and go and make a movie. Um, and I think that's what it was for us. And, um, you know, it's sort of, and also I think it's tricky also when you work in the industry because it's a lot of these funds are for people that aren't experienced and you know or have limited experience and so you know we did a I think we might have had a bit too much I don't, actually I don't even know to be honest I think uh, I think it's unfair to say that but um, I just think it's yeah I, I just think you can spend your time applying for funds or you can spend your time making a movie but I don't think there's a right or wrong I don't think one is better mm. than the other yeah you know? yeah no, I mean, that makes sense. And the, the, I definitely get the, the thought about the experience. There's that I, I go on job, ex, job interviews and you look at the interview and be like, I can do that job. That's not a problem. And then you get a phone call and it's like, yeah, we think you'd be perfect to experience so. And you're like, why did you interview me? I just wasted all this time doing a presentation and blah, blah. what's going on? You know what I mean? So, yeah, like you, you sometimes, yeah, you think is there a point wasting my time with this whole process just to probably be told to experience? Or, yeah, there's, there's these weird barriers and things that you're, and you're not quite sure, like, can I, can't I? And it's never quite clear, all of that kind of thing. But, um, all right, so you, you came with a concept, Stephen polished it up, um, and... Claire, how did she get involved? So Claire is, a, is producer, an incredible producer, um, and she basically, I mean, I mean, she, she, she's a big part of why that shoot happened so quickly and so smoothly, um, and Stephen as well, because um, they work together as producers, and, you know, she, yeah, she's just an incredible producer. It's, it's just really, I think producing is one of those things that people don't, really appreciate i think one of the best sort of descriptions of uh, what a producer does that i've ever heard is a producer creates the environment that allows things to happen um you know they kind of just put all the things in place so that everybody can do their job and i think it's a really underappreciated role um but yes yeah, so that, that's claire came on she, you know just really just whipped it into shape and made sure that it happened 
you know, and again, along with Stephen, I don't want to give Claire all the credit, Stephen deserves credit as well. Um, but, but both of them together did a great job in producing it. And, you know, there's a lot of things as a director that I just didn't have to think about, didn't have to worry about because they've done such a great job producing it. Yeah, because I think that's one thing that people, because when you see a film, and, and especially nowadays, there's so many names attached that you're just like, wait, who does what? I'm a bit confused. Because it's like, so because essentially the director, so you're looking at the shots, you're looking at the, the way the scene is structured, making sure, you know, the lighting is there and everything is moving for that shot. And the producer is kind of the project manager who is getting the right people there for you to do that and then the rest of the film, right? So that's essentially those roles, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's also a creative element. I mean, it depends on the producer, but there's also a creative element as well where, you know, as director, you can bounce ideas off of them or they have suggestions or, you know, sometimes, you know, as a director, you can be so focused or sometimes you can be focused just on one particular thing and then you might need someone else just to remind you well you know there's this as well and there's that um kind of depends on i think every director producer relationship is very very different um, and i don't think there's like a one size fits all but i think you're right you know you are right as a director you're worried you're worried about the vision you're trying to tell the story make sure you've got the shots make sure that everything's working the way that it should be but everything is there because of the producers you know everything that you wouldn't be able to worry about anything about that that part of your job if the producers haven't done their job. And executive producers, because that's where I'm always a bit like, what is that? Yeah, I think I think it's a tricky one because I think traditionally I think they were the people that essentially helped with the money, um, but I think it's now become, and not in terms of they gave the money, but they they would help the sort of from the financial yeah. side of producing the film. So it's more of a thank you rather than they actually... I think that is what it is now, yeah. But yeah. I think traditionally it was, okay, you had the producers who would put together the, the, the actual film and then you'd have the exact producers who would just sort of would help raise the money. But I think nowadays it has become, if you put money in, you become an exact producer or if you... Yeah, I think it's a very sort of... It's, it's uh, really undefined these days, I think, you know. And I think, and which is probably unfair, because there's probably lots of really great executive producers who deserve that credit, you know, mm. you know what I mean? But it's the nature of that credit is that it is very, very fluid now. And um, <clears throat> before we get to anything else, like, with, with your process when you're directing, are you open to that collaboration? Do you like a kind of an open process? You know what I mean? Uh, or does it depend who you're working with? Um, in terms of film or in terms of like commercials? And um, I, I think just in general, like with, the fi with this film, yes. But then I, I guess, you know, just yourself in general. Sure. I mean, I think my, my natural approach is very much, yeah, it's very much collaboration. It's very much um, allowing, what I like to do is try to create um, a space for everyone to own the work that they create in the film so it's a case of going here's what I think we need here's what I think we should be doing 
and then invite people to contribute to that idea. Um, and I think my job as a director is to make sure that, you know, you, everyone does their best work, but in the service of the story and of the film. So it's, it's a case of balancing, or for me it is, for me it's a case of sort of, okay, well here's the story we need to tell, here's what we need to tell it, what do you think? And they go, X, Y, Z, and you have to go, right, X is right, Y is maybe a bit out there mm. or not quite right. Um, and then it's just, a, and, and then for me it's just, yeah, just balancing that just with time and the money that you have and what the story you want to tell. Um, I think on this, I think we were really lucky. I think it was a case of everyone sort of really trusted me. A lot of the people were people that I'd worked with before. And, actually, and But that said, there's also at least a third or two, you know, half the people I'd never worked with, you know. and but everyone seemed to trust me as director, which I think is really important. Um, and I think if you can gain your crew's trust and gain your cast's trust, you can, it just makes the whole job of directing a lot easier because then people aren't fighting you, they aren't trying, they're not second guessing you, they're sort of going, okay, this is what you want and I believe in you, so let's, let's do this. So that's kind of my approach. I try to make sure that, create an environment where people can own the work that they do and that they, <coughs> build some trust in me. They feel trusted that I'm going to use their talents in the best way. Yeah, no, I, I think when you kind of listen to like directors and producers talk, that definitely sounds a key thing. I mean, I, I was reading an article about um, Hellboy, the new Hellboy film. Doesn't sound like Neil Marshall had that on set. It is, I haven't seen it yet. It, it's sounding a little crazy. Like everyone's just fighting and bickering and trying to rewrite. And yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, it, it, I, I'm going to see it. But it, it's sounding like that was not a good experience. And you hear that a lot where there's all this backbiting and craziness on set. And, you know, so I, I feel, yeah, it's good to try and, keep things a certain way like if something was coming up if you were kind of butting heads with someone or like an actor was just like I don't like these I don't like this scene I don't like what my characters say like how do you address things before they become an issue um, I think it's important actually especially with especially with anyone on the crew but I think particularly with actors um, is if they've got an issue like that, for example, like, I don't like this or I don't like that, it's worth examining why, because end of the day, you know, a good actor will have spent a lot of time preparing and understanding who their character is and their character's motivations. So it's worth exploring because they might have just come across something that everyone else has missed. So you can't dismiss it. I think you have to discuss it. I think. Yeah, I think it can become an issue if it's... I think, it, I think it only really becomes an issue if people are doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. I think if people are fighting their corner because they believe it's best for the film, then there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But if it ever becomes about ego or... Well, basically, if it becomes about ego, <laughs> then, <laughs> then it, that's the wrong reason. And then, I mean, luckily, I've not had to deal with that yet, but I would... Again, my natural instinct would be to try and find a way to make it work or at least explore that option mm -hmm. or you know just if someone's saying i want to try this it's like, all right let's try it you know 
and again, budget and time is always going to be an issue. <laughs> and it's not you can't really do that on, say, a low-budget film. But I think on a big-budget film, you know, what I think it's worth doing. Mm. You know, I think it's like actually let's, you know, what I don't I don't agree with this, but maybe there's something here. Let's try it. And I think you've always got to be open to trying it. Otherwise, yeah, you're just shutting the door on 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 a creative opportunity. Mm. You know, it may not be because like you know. You, because sometimes things just happen on set, you know, and you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't see that coming, and it's like, actually, that's brilliant, that's perfect, that's better than what we wrote, or that's better than what we ever imagined. And that could come from somebody saying, no, I don't think this is right. So I think it's worth, again, like I said, it comes down to motivation. As long as it's for the yeah. good of the film, I think that's the right reason to do it. Yeah, I can't remember which director who was saying it, but I remember um, hearing, like, one guy was saying that the film they were making, like, there was some of the scenes and people weren't quite happy with some of the lines and stuff. And so what he did was he was like, all right, what we'll do, we'll do it as it's in the script, then we'll shoot it again with how you might want it, and then we'll shoot it again and we'll just improv that shit. And so then he addressed all of them and he said, like, for the most part, we went with the script version, but there were a few scenes when we did go with, like, the, the, the new lines or the improv. And I thought, yeah, that kind of appeases everything. That kind of, if you've got the time, it seems like a good way to kind of go about things. But, um... All right, so you, you've got your script. You, you know, you've got, like, certain people in place. How do you then move to the next part? What, like, what was next? Was it casting the roles? Um, yes, basically, yeah. So once we, once we had our DOP, Tim Knight, who's incredible. Um, Wait, um, DOP? Yeah, our director of photography, <laughs> um, Tim Knight. We had, once we had him on board, we, we felt like we could make the film. Um, because it's just such a huge part, you know, you know you've got to get the right person to shoot the film. Um, so once we had that, I was like, okay, cool, now we're ready. We've got script, we've got a DOP, um, and it was casting, casting was next. Yeah. Okay, one quick thing, yeah. and I might sound stupid here. Um, what's the difference between the DOP and the cinematographer? Oh, same thing, same thing. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely same thing. It's just um, two different ways of saying the same thing, basically. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, that, that once we had Tim on board, yeah, we, we knew what we were going to do. And we started casting. We already had an idea. We cause, Again, because it's a low-budget film, we couldn't... It wasn't a case of, oh, let's go and find... Let's go do an open casting. Yeah. It was yeah. The, the first port was, who do we know that we think could be right for this and who we think is great? And we were really lucky that within our circle of, you know, contacts and people that we knew, we had those people. Um, and so we only had three <coughs> cast for a couple of roles. And, you know, unbelievably, you know, we got two fantastic actors, you know, for, for those two roles that we needed. You know, and they were open, they were just cast that we put out. And, yeah, I'm, I'm still like, there were so many things that happened on this film that, just seemed like incredible good luck, you know, and that was that was definitely one of those things. Again, uh, Vincent and Pauline uh, as part of the cast was just 
because they're really talented, experienced actors, mm. you know, and they were up for it, you know. So, which I think is a testament to Stephen's script because they, they would have read the script and gone, yeah, okay, I'd like to be part of this. And so, you know, if the script wasn't any good, I don't think they would have done it. <laughs> so did you give them the full script to read or just certain no, scenes? It was, uh, it was just uh, scenes. It was just a breakdown of... Who the, oh, no, actually, I can't remember no, maybe we could give them the whole script, actually. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we did. I remember now because some of the actors came in and were like, oh, man, is there going to be a sequel and things like that. So, yeah, we must have, we must have given them the whole script, yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, I can say it's just unbelievably fortunate that they, they read the script and they wanted to do it. And we, I think we gave them the script and we said, but prepare these particular bits for the audition. And they just... They just nailed it. Okay. Like, one thing I've always wondered about the whole, the, the, like, the casting process, when you're giving scripts out, is there a worry that people are going to, like, steal ideas and, and things like that? Like, is there a way of, do, do people have to sign an NDA before, like, um... I mean, I think that's probably a bigger issue if you're trying to do Star Wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sign my NDA, but I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure it was, you know, I, I think for us it was just a case of we just didn't think it was really going to be an issue. Obviously, you know, you tend to go through agents, so they will respect that anyway. Right. You yeah, know, and yeah. I, think, I think those sort of things are actually quite rare. I think... Anyone that's serious in this business would never do that, mm. you know, and anybody that, even if you're not a pro right now, if you want to be a pro, you'd never do that. So I just don't, I don't think it's, like I said, unless you're doing, you know, the next James Bond or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, if, if you've got that script, people are going to want it. But, yeah. you know, it's... But yeah, there's, there's six degrees of separation. Yeah. You, we, can, we can figure <laughs> out who the hell stole this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it wasn't, it was yeah. like, Oh, it was yeah, that exactly, person. Exactly. So it was never a real concern for us, no. Okay, so you've got your actors. Then what happened? Like, did you... What, like you, what was in mind? Like, did you know, right, we will be shooting this time? Or was it, right, we need to get the actors first, then we can figure out the shoot? Or, like, like how did you kind of work out the process? Yeah. Well, actually, as, as I said before, that once we had Tim Knight, our director of photography on board, we were like, okay, we've got Tim, which means we can shoot this film. Um, just because he, again, he's got cameras, he's got lights, he's got, you know, he, and also I've worked with him many, many times. So he's someone that I absolutely trust. And so it was a case of when are you available, Tim? And Tim was like, right, I've got <laughs> these two weeks in October. I'm like, okay, great. We start on that day, we finish on that day. And that's it. So it was, everything was built around Tim's availability. Um, and so once we had that, but it also meant we could go to the cast and say, right, we're making this movie, we're making it in these two weeks. Yeah. Uh, we could go to locations and say, we need it between these two weeks. So that actually made it a lot easier because you're not going up to people and saying, oh, hey, we'd like to shoot here. When? Oh, you know, we'll get back to you. It's a case mm -hmm. of, we, we want to shoot here, we want to shoot on this date. And that... Again, I think that makes it a lot easier because, again, because it was a low-budget film and it was actually quite a short amount of time. You know, we went to some places and it's like, well, yeah, it's fine, we can do a deal because that's in six weeks and we know there's nothing coming in. So, yeah, yeah great. 
Uh, so I think that actually helped having a short lead time. But yeah, so everything happened much quicker once once we got once we knew what our dates were, and our dates were determined by our cinematographer. Yeah. <laughs> like it is, that's one thing that you're always like. It, it makes me wonder because you hear about you, you know what I mean like new directors like yourself and, and they talk about oh yeah you know we shot our film in like two days you know it was like a week and we shot the film and then you like a school says you're like yeah we spent six months shooting the film I don't he doesn't sound like that just decided that school says but um, yeah it's, it's weird that the bigger the film, the longer it seems to take to film. Even films that don't necessarily have huge kind of um, effects or anything like that. And I, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I don't under, I don't quite. Obviously, I know nothing about shooting a film, but yeah, it always seems like an a crazy situation. Like what, what are the things that? Are increasing the time of the shoot. Um, I, th- I mean, personally, I think because I, I talked to a friend of mine about you know, it's like, oh, I wish I had more time on, on this film Beyond Existence, and he was like, well, what would you have done with more time? Because you know, if, like, if, like, the actors are great, everyone got great takes, everyone did what was on the script, you know, we got great shots, and I was like, and actually going back to that story you were saying earlier about the director who did what was on the script ask people to do what they wanted and then improvise, I think that's actually what I would do if I had more time, mm. you know. Um, but I think on these bigger films, I think the reason, I think it's one of those things, if you have more time, you'll take more time. <coughs> you know, if you've, if, you know, again, coming from a sort of commercials and content background, it's sort of like, okay, you've, I've got a day to shoot this. That's what I've got. So you kind of have to go, right, what do I need in this shot? What do I need to do in this shot to tell the story so I can move on to the next shot? And that's kind of how you approach it. But I think ideally on a big film, you're probably going, right, okay, here's the script, let's do this. And I think you've probably got the luxury of going, yeah, that was good. Mm. I'm not sure if it was perfect, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think that's all it is. I think it's just a case of they're taking all the time they have to make it as perfect as they can. You know, and there's, you know, Francis Ford Coppola always says that that for him, there's a compromise between time and money. And that's where the creativity comes out. And that's where the art is created on a film. So I think sometimes maybe you can have too much time and Mm. too much money. But I think you you want that balance of just enough time and just enough money to explore and play, but also not become self-indulgent. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, like thinking about like things that I've done. I, I created an image bank at one place where I was working, and um, like with a lot of the things we were doing, it was all came down to funding, and um, we we finally got funding to do this thing, and we wanted to launch it at our big congress. So it worked out that I think I had like three months to to actually cast actors, then 
shoot all the all the images then create an image bank with another organization upload everything write copy for it test it all and then have it ready and it, it was just like it definitely forces you to kind of do things and do it fast. It was just like, I was like waking up early, writing scenarios for the shoot, sending it across to the agency, like, right, get me actors, we're cast, I'm gonna do a casting, so you're doing the casting. Then with the shoot, I think I had two days, two days to do all the, sh the, the, the shooting in, and it was just like, okay, we didn't one lot of pictures. All right, should we have a coffee? Nope, we're doing the next scene, next scene, right. The weather's bad. Go to the coffee shop. We're doing the next one. And it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And just fitting everything in that I could because it was inside. And then you're looking at the pictures thinking, oh, I wish I had another shot with a fat. Doesn't matter. Fine. That will do. And, and it was like looking at everything. And you're realizing that, oh, it's not. If, if I had more time, I would have done a little bit more. I could have polished this. But you're like, look, this is really good for what I had and you have to look at it like that and you can't be precious about anything because it's just like it's time man like I, I, I'm never gonna fully like anything because I'm always gonna feel I could do more so yeah it's that crazy kind of thing where you're just pushing 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 trying to get the most out of everything that you do but the, but the thing is it's like when you're making a film, I, I, like you, you've got so much riding on it. it. It must be like, what does that feel like? Knowing that this could be like the doorway to bigger things. Um, it's interesting that I, I didn't. That's. Like obviously, we made, we made the film because, again, we wanted to prove that we could do it. Mm. Um, and I think, but yeah, obviously knowing that actually, yeah, if it does well, obviously it opens doors and things happen and maybe we can raise the money for our next film. And all of those things are there. But I think on your, I mean, I don't know about, actually, I shouldn't say what anyone else should think, that's up to them. But for me, as a director on my first film, I felt like I was at a place in my life where I was like, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready for the challenge of a feature-length story. Because if you think about it, it's pretty... Everyone says, yeah, I want to make a movie, I want to make a movie, I can do a movie. It's mm. like, okay, but you've never done it. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah you've yeah. never done it. You're just like, okay, it's... Well, I've done, you know, I've done... I've done sprints, I've done, you know, I've done the 400, I've done the 800. It's like, yeah, but that's still not a marathon, you know? A marathon is a marathon, and that's kind of like it with films. It's like no matter how many commercials you do, or online films, or whatever, or short films, it's you know until you. I mean, I suppose there was probably a time, like again, back in the day, where you probably go do a, do a short film, do a TV show, do a TV special, do a film. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it's all so fluid now; it just doesn't doesn't work like that. But you know, it's sort of. For me, it was just a case of, I believe I can do this and I want to prove, if to nobody else, just to myself, that I can make a movie, that I can tell a story that's, you know, an hour and a half um, and it makes sense visually, narratively, it's engaging and, you know, and it leaves you satisfied as an audience and that's, 
which is what I want in the film, and that's what I wanted to do. So I never really thought about, you know, oh, this could be this could be the thing. I think this could be the thing that makes me, or because I think if you do think like again, not you, fine. If you want to think like that, great. But for me, I think if I was doing it because of what it might get me, that would be the wrong reason. I have to do it for the sake of doing it. I have to do it for this film. I want to make this film because I want to make this film. Yeah, it's about the, it's about the here and now, about the yeah, story. Exactly. That's yeah. the main focus. Yeah. Exactly, and it's, it's making this film as good as it can be because if you're making the film and thinking about your next film, that's, that means you're not thinking about the film you're making, you know? So it was... Um, yeah, it's just really focused on that, really. So I never really thought about... I mean, now you do. Now when you're like, okay, it's going to go out in the world. How's it going to be received? Is this going to you know, open up doors? Is this going to lead to a bigger budget for the next film? Um, you know, and the hope is that it will. Because, you know, I think I, it's weird to say, you know, like, oh, yeah, I've made a good film. But, you know, I think I've made a good film. So, but like chefs are the only people that can do that, you know. A chef can make a cake, eat it, right in front of you and go, that's the best cake you'll ever eat. And none of us think that's so arrogant. We go, yeah, I want to try that cake. But no other artist seems to be able to get away with that. I know, right? This, if, if, if someone's like, yeah, this is the best book I've ever written, or if you'd be like, what a fucking big head? Up his own arse or what? Well, <laughs> That's the best shit roast chicken you'll ever eat. You go, oh man, I want to try that roast chicken. <laughs> they, they get away with it. <laughs> oh man that that is so right i mean um <clears throat> when when you were making it because this because i've spoken to people about like making things and writing and and that kind of thing and there's always like they, they'll tell you an idea and you're like oh that sounds good but then when you the people start breaking things down into scenes and stuff like that it's like yeah i'm gonna do this shot and you're like oh that's like a Scorsese shot, or that's a Bale shot, you know what I mean? And it, it, it's just like, it's easy to fall into the trap of wanting to capture a vision from other people you look up to. So when you were shooting, what, like, how did you avoid that? Or, did, or were you trying to go, all right, we, we want to get a kind of a... Um, a Ridley Scott kind of shot here or like yeah what was that like with that process uh, I think I, I think uh, I think subconsciously you do anyway um, I think you know whenever you're watching definitely I think as a filmmaker any film you watch you absorb on some level so if you're watching one particular director's work over and over again that's going to seep into your psyche and so whether you try I mean, yeah, you can do it consciously. You can be like, right, I'm going to do... Mm. We're going to do Ridley on this. Or we're gonna, and to be honest, we did do that on set. Sometimes we were like, you know what, this, this, is, this is Ridley. Or another shot would be like, okay, this is Kubrick. Or, you know, it's sort of... And then even afterwards, though, looking at the film now, it's sort of looking back and thinking... You know, I th we never did it consciously, but we, we always ended up saying those sort of things once we were, like, set the shot up. And we'd look at it yeah. and go, oh, hang on, this is just like... Ridley Scott shot from this, or that's from, you know, Kubrick shot there, and um, so yeah, it was never conscious, and I never thought about avoiding it because I just think it's part of your creative expression. You know, you've, you're standing on the shoulders of giants and all that sort, yeah, sort yeah. of thing. But I think 
yeah, we, it, we, we never consciously tried to copy anyone, but we did realize sometimes after doing the shot that we'd reference someone else's style or someone else's moments. But I think that's very much a part of who you are as, as an artist, you know. I mean, some people are completely original, and that's, that's them. But even then, I think you could probably find something that relates that's some sort of influence on, on them. Oh, yeah, def definitely at the very beginning as well, because I think it's about finding your voice. But a nod, nods are fine. You know what I mean? Nods are, a nod to someone is fine. Like, you sometimes see people who completely, you know what I mean, completely <laughs> bite someone's style. But, yeah, a nod is fine, and especially when you're looking for what your true voice and vision is in the game, you know, that's... I think that's that's nat that's a natural thing, but um, so we you've shot the film, so then what comes next? Cool. Then we again very lucky to have an incredible post production team, you know, who again were like, yeah, cool, we we like you guys, we like working with you, you know, again the, 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 in, in post production is all people that we've done lots of stuff with in the past, so. For them, they're like, we're on board, you know, don't worry about it. Talk to my, to my company, we'll get some access. And, you know, it was like syncing up, you know, it's really basic, you just sync up the rushes, that takes some time. And then you start, we, we were lucky to have two editors on board and we, we just split the film between them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we just divided, which again is really interesting way of working because you've got two different slightly different approaches mm, so yeah. it was quite nice to be able to meld those and see how they sort of fit together um, and it was what's really interesting from what they said was like it was in some senses it was quite simple to edit because there was so little footage that it was just a case of choosing the best take and then yeah. you just kind of do it because you know we, we didn't have hundreds of takes we had like three you know four at the most maybe we had like six you know um but they also said the challenge was trying to make the best from such limited rushes. Yeah. You know, yeah, so it was yeah, quite, yeah. An, it was in, I think it was an interesting exercise for them. But yeah, so that it was, I mean, it was a long time to edit because, you know, people are working around paid work, jobs, and, you know, babies and life and that sort of stuff. So it took a while, but yeah, they did a fantastic job, did an absolutely incredible job on the edit. And it was sort of really, again, like, and it's a cliche, but it is, the film gets rewritten in the edit, you know, and it is, there are just little subtle changes here and there, but they've, again, they've done a fantastic job. So, <coughs> oh, my. Um, with, with that, because, yes, you, you, you definitely hear that a lot, that, you know, a director will be like, oh, the, you know, the, the, the edit wasn't what I envisioned the film. So, when you give the film to someone to edit, do you give them notes? Do you, like, what, how does that work? Um, I mean, in this, I, I don't. Um, essentially, they've got the script and they've got what we shot. And they'll have a report, you know, obviously mm. a sound report, camera report, so they know what was shot and when it was shot and so they can relate it all. But, um, like, Ridley Scott always says that he, he doesn't sit in on the edit. You know, he doesn't sit there over the editor's shoulder because if you've again, this is his opinion, but if you shot it right, then you don't need to sit in there as director because it'll all be there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I, I think, I, I agree with that massively. I think um, 
you know it's you can shoot stuff in a certain way that it becomes very logical of how to put it together mm. um, and you know I've, I've, I've edited for 10 years you know as as well as directing but I've been an editor for a long long time and so I'm always very conscious of the edit when I shoot mm. and I know I know what I'm getting and I know I know when I've got it I know when I've got my coverage so it um, so yeah I didn't have that worry I didn't really give them too many notes but also I wanted to see what they would do like how because again coming from an editing background when I've shot it you know at the end I can close my eyes and go yeah boop 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 that's how it's going to be cut together but it's always fascinating to see what another editor would do mm. how did they mm. take those same shots and what decisions and choices do they make and yeah, and, and, and that's part of the collaboration is like just see something different and you know it's there's a couple of places where it was like no that's not how I saw it do it like this but for the most part they did a great job and, you know, and, and they did things that not necessarily I would have made those choices but they're better choices than I would have made okay that yeah no that's really interesting and do you think being an editor has helped your directoral kind of sensibilities because yeah I don't know if I've heard a lot of ed directors have been editors before but I can imagine yeah it, that must be helpful um, yeah massively helpful um, and there are examples like Hal Ashby was a, was a great fantastic editor who went on to become a director and, and there are other examples um, but it's I think it, I think everyone how you how you approach editing probably has a massive effect on how you approach directing um, but for me I think what it's done for me is that it allows uh, part of the reason I'm always very calm on set and I think part of the reason why people um, the crews that I work with the cast that I work with trust me is because I I'm so confident in editing that I, I'm very like I said before I'm, I know when I've got it I know that okay, I didn't get a perfect take, but I know that across those three or four takes, every moment that needed to be perfect is there. So mm -hmm. it kind of gives you the confidence to build, build whatever you need. Um, and I think also, I think a lot of films are built in the edit anyway. I think that's my opinion. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was Joe Dante. Um, I think it was Joe Dante who said this, but he's directed like Gremlins um, was it Gremlins? Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure I did Gremlins. Yeah, it was Gremlins. But he, he, was a, he started out doing low-budget films, and he, uh, he said that you know, he used to like, shoot the film, it'd go to the editor, and then he'd sit in the screening room, watch the film, and be like, man, I'm a genius, that's great. You know, and, and then he, he said the first time he sat in with an editor and saw what they did, he was like, man, I'm an idiot. These guys <laughs> made me look good. You know, and I think... That's the thing about editing. It's, it's so invisible. It's so unseen. But that's, I think the effect on, that it's had on me is that it just allows me to be very confident of when I've got it. And I think that's important as a director. Mm. I think, again, it's, this is my opinion. Other directors may not agree. But I think part of the reason that you, know, you, you, you need to have the trust of your cast and crew. And yeah. that comes yeah. from you being sure. You know, if you can be sure, then people, well, people will be sure, you know. 
So, so yeah, so that's what editing gives me. It's giving me that confidence to sort of know when I've got what I need and then when I need to push it as well. Okay. No, that's interesting. Um, so we're in the editing phase of the film. So what other elements get added now? Is this when the, the score is, is like put into the film? Uh, yeah, basically. So now we've, so we're picture locked, which means we're not, yet it's not going to change. We're all happy with it. The story, the flow, the pace, all of that's there. Um, and it's now a case of, right, let's get it graded. Let's get it, get the audio. The audio is there's so much work to be done. You know, it's like, yeah, we've got everyone's dialogue. It's all recorded, but, mm. you know, there's, you know, the gunshots that are in there are like just really basic stuff, you know. The car sounds are just random car sounds, you know. It's all just, just, just to sort of get you along so you can yeah. watch the film. <coughs> and now it's a case of getting that done properly. So that's all being done. Um, and so, yeah, the composing's a massive part. You know, the, the score is going to have a huge influence on how the film feels and how it plays. So we're actually meeting composers at the moment, you know, we're talking to people. And then, yeah, we'll, when we find the right person we'll get them started on it. So do you have <coughs> an idea of the style you want or are you still kind of, oh, like if someone comes to you and goes, oh, I thought this, w- like could that change your kind of whole viewpoint on on the sound? Um, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's a very similar thing. There's ideas, I have ideas of what I want and there's things that I could sort of say look here's what I was thinking which you know the music in the trailer that we've got at the moment is kind of what I've been thinking and mm-hmm. people seem to really respond to the music in the trailer so it's probably a good starting point but absolutely if, if the composer's like look I had a look at it here's what I think you know if it could be way better than anything because I'm not a composer yeah, at the end yeah, of the day yeah, I'm not yeah. a musician so <coughs> as much as I might have an idea, someone who actually writes music for films is going to have a better sense than me. That's what I believe anyway. So if they've come up to something and go, look, I know you didn't want this sort of stuff or you said you wanted that, but I've come up with this whole different style. Mm. If it works, it works. If it makes it better, use it. You know, it's that simple. Okay, yeah. No, that may, that, yeah, that, that's a, a good way to go into it, I can imagine. So, um, is there anything else that needs to be added other than the um, special effects? Um, no, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of having the people on board to do the work, it's all pretty much, that's, that's it. The only thing we really need is just, and even with the VFX, we've, we're talking to a few people and they're you know, sort of willing to do us deals you know, but those deals still cost money. Yeah, yeah, no one's doing it for free. Um, <laughs> so it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's really, and it is, you know, like I said, it's, it's a lot less than what we originally needed. And I think the film's very, very close to being finished. You know, it's just, just need this little push just mm. to get us, you know, get us, get us across the line, basically. You know, we've come a long, long way, and it's like it's. I was sort of talking to my editor yesterday, and he was sort of saying, you know, it's like, you know, he, he's he, he's always said that you know it's it's a good 
film. It's a really, really good film. And everything that we're doing is just making it better. So the grade is making it better. The audio is making it better. The score is going to make it better. You know, the, just getting the best graphics we can is just going to make it better. But even without all of that, <coughs> you know, the film works. You know, even in its rawest form, the film is engaging and it is coherent and it's watchable. You know, and it's satisfying. So, mm. which must be good to know because if it wasn't, that that, that that's like. Absolutely, uh. absolutely. If if your film, like I, I was really, really sort of, I'm, I'm as an, as as a director, but also as an editor, I hate using temporary music or temporary sort of looks or whatever. I, I never want to, you know, I I want to know that in its rawest form, the film works. Yeah, you know, without grading, without sound effects, without you know, just just what we've got in its rawest incarnation. Does that work? Does that feel right? Yes great because that means everything else is going to make it better if it's not working it's not like well let's hope the music fixes it <clears throat> let's hope the grade fixes it let's hope the special effects fix it that's you're never it's never going to it's never going to be good if yeah. it's not good in its rawest form it's never going to be great um and again i don't want to sound arrogant but <laughs> yeah i think it's good <laughs> you know <laughs> It, it would be a bit of an odd interview if you were like, you know I mean, to be honest, not the best thing. Not the best thing. I mean, you know, there's other things people should watch, but I'm just trying. Next time I'm hoping to make a better one, but who knows? That could suck as well. You know, that, that would be odd. Yeah. See, it is an interesting thing because I remember when the trailer for Suicide Squad came out and it had like, um, oh, I think they used Seven Nation Army and there was all these shots. And then when the film came out, no Seven Nation Army, different shots, not like shots from the trailer weren't even in the film. And people were like, what we saw in the trailer isn't the film that you gave us. And, and that's a big thing, like, as you said, like, using temporary music and using, like, different odd things. And, like, some people do it, but it never seems to pay off. Yeah. Although, I mean, I have to say, just, just in defense, I mean, you know, in defense of that trailer, and I think in all filmmakers at the studio level and the trailers is, I think, often, well, actually, I know for a fact, I've, I've worked with some trailer I've worked with companies that do trailers and they will sometimes just be given a film six months before it's finished and they're just given the film with like unfinished graphics and no music and they're just told make this look great mm. and it's not necessarily connected in any way to the director and the director might get it like see it finally and be like what the hell is this we're not even using those yeah. shots in the film yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter it's got a great response you know so in that difference I would say it's not necessarily the filmmaker's fault at that level I think if, unless you're, if you're not at that level there's no excuse to not to, yeah you know but, yeah. <coughs> oh yeah no it's definitely not the day because it, it was so weird I, I only I found that out recently because I, I, the amount of times I've seen films and I'm like, 
the trailer doesn't represent the film. Like, there's been some films that your trailer says it's a comedy, but it's a serious film, and it always back. And then I was just like, I'm never watching the trailer again because it ruins. I don't want to ruin anything for the film. And I remember I was speaking with um, Tupac Faber, who who um, put out a film called um, Tides last year. Great film, great film. Um, and we were talking about that, that the fact that yeah, directors don't often shoot their own do their own trailer and it's just a and the crazy thing is the the most of the general public do not know that do not know that and so it seems this really weird thing that the first introduction to a lot of these films isn't a true introduction and that must be so frustrating you know like i what yeah i just think like how, like, yeah, there's like what, and it must be a great thing about making a film like yours that you have so much control over it and not, you know, going to like a, a, a streamer or anyone like that for funding. It gives you just that greater control. And that must be, you know, a real joy, really, for the whole kind of process itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it's I think it's Danny Boyle who tells the story of how his because he made Sh- Shallow Grave was his first film mm. and again low budget film and his I think his dad after the film was made his, I, again I might got this wrong I'm pretty sure it's Danny Boyle but I think his dad said to him he goes you know you'll never have as much fun on any other film and you'll never make a better film not in the sense that he wouldn't make <laughs> Thanks, a better Dad. film no, I, think, I think he meant as in like yeah. the, the experience of yeah, making yeah, yeah, it would yeah, just yeah. you know this will be the best film you'll you'll you know you'll, you'll enjoy the most and I think and I think that's the thing about this is like it was and again coming from a commercials background where you're sort of always no matter what you do you've always got somebody else signing off on it you know mm. so even though you're the director it's still the client and the creative director they're saying there's levels of sign off um, and there's always a bit of a conflict between what you think is right and what's right for the brand or right for the product or whatever um, and here it was, it was really nice to be to be able to make a choice and to be like right I think we should do this and then the only other people that I needed to sort of discuss that with were Stephen and Claire who are people I've worked with for years you mm. know, and it's sort of like actually what do you guys think and because we've known each other and because we trust each other it's very you know there's very rarely disagreements yeah. about it, you know. Um, there's obviously some. There's always some because you know it's a film. Yeah. And it's but really not passionate. to the detriment not of exactly. anything. Exactly. On a creative level, rather than exactly. Oh, my opinion exactly. to be heard. Exactly that. It's exactly that. So, um, you know, and it's sort of. And I think also sometimes people get a little bit. Um, you know, maybe I don't know. But on, on big, like I said, with ego, with like with, on bigger films, I think it can. Maybe it can become about ego. But you know, and but also there's also something to be said for you know <coughs> two different approaches and going. Well, you know what? This neither of one of these is better than the other. They're just different. Yeah. You know, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. recognise that and go. This isn't better or worse. It's different. But as long as it's right, mm. that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, it was it was really nice to have the complete freedom to just make the movie that we wanted to make, you know. And we didn't we, we weren't asking to anybody, which is great. And yeah, it'll probably never happen again. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, as soon as somebody comes in with money, and, and it's like, well, mm. we we have a say, we have a stake in this. Um, 
but yeah, it's, again, it comes down to trust, right? You know, if you, if the people that are investing in your film trust you, <coughs> they're going to trust you, and so there, there shouldn't hopefully be those conflicts. But I'm okay. There always will be because yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah, passion, yeah. and there's a lot, right? You know, this seems very different. When it's 150 million dollars <laughs> riding on your decisions, <laughs> you know. So, okay, and. Do you think um, your your TV background, like, ha- has that helped you in this process? Um, in terms of com- yeah, com- in terms of commercials, yeah, massively. Because I think the thing about commercials is that you're you've essentially got a very very short amount of time to tell. To, to, to give some information or tell a story or mm. get across an idea. And the one thing it teaches you is, you know, if, if, the thing that I always get fascinated by when through, through working commercials is, you know, you do something that's, maybe you do a 40 second commercial, there are some, and you're like, okay, that's, I can, what, what can I do in 40 seconds? And then you, you know, you do it, you're like, okay, yeah. great. Then you do a 30 second commercial, and you're like, oh, that's 10 seconds less. And, you know, and of those 10 seconds, five seconds is logo at the end. So you're like, oh, I've got 25 seconds. Oh, actually, the first half second, first second needs to be silent. And so suddenly you're like, actually, I've got 24 seconds to tell the story. But you still do it. Yeah. And, you know, and then, then you have idents, you know, the, the bit that plays before the commercials. Mm. But, you know, and those, those are five seconds, 10 seconds. You're like, what can I possibly do? <laughs> but actually, you, through doing it, you learn just how economical you can be with your visuals and your and your your dialogue and your sound and you can say so much and or not say say so much but you can at least get across an idea or get across a feeling or a sentiment in a very short amount of time and I think that that helped me especially on a low budget film you know where you've got limited time you've got limited takes you know to sort of be able to go okay how can I tell this story how can I do this in the most efficient way Mm. um which is not to take away from the art of it. I think we were still very artistic in this film. You know, and there's some, some moments that we've, take, we've lingered on and things like that, but we've always, it was through the production, of sort of going, I know that I can tell this story with this amount of shots and with this amount of takes, and that I got from commercials, without doubt. Okay, yeah. No, that, that, that's ah, interesting. And, right, so now... It's just all about this funding situation. So we're trying to... Uh, is there a deadline on, on this? Yeah, I, think the, I, think the, I think the campaign is closing in just a couple of weeks, I think. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to get as much as we can. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll finish the film and we'll get it done. And, you know, the, the more money we can raise, the better it will be and the quicker we can get it done. And then we can get it out there in the world. And, you know, it's... I think it's a film that will have, like I think pe- people will watch it and, you know, have some ideas and have some thoughts about mm. what it's trying to say um, and just enjoy it. So, I mean, I really hope that people will take the time to have a look at the trailer, have a look at the Indiegogo campaign and, you know, if they can help, great, you know, or even if you just share it, that's that's mm. great, you know, just, just tell someone about it, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just, we're just trying to just get it done, get it finished. We're so close, you know. It's not like 
we've got lots left to do. It's like actually, it's a very, it's still a lot to do, <laughs> but you know, it's it's the film is in a really good place, and just need that little bit of help just to get it done, you know. And and I hope there's people out there who just want to help independent cinema, small cinema, and, you know, just help us get it there. Mm. Oh, that's great. And do you like? Is there a, a kind of idea of where you'd hope this may premiere? Like, could we see it at next year's um, BFI Film Festival? Um, I mean, we're going to basically, the, the idea is once it's finished is to get it out onto the festival circuit. Um, and, you know, we, we're hoping to get it finished this year in time to hit the submission deadlines for all of next year's festivals. You know, we're just, you know, just going to, you know, we, we, well, we're not sure here. We're going to be strategic. We're going to yeah. think about the festivals yeah, yeah, yeah. that, you know, we, we think it's right for. Because I think that sometimes you can make that mistake as a filmmaker is just send your film to every single festival. And it's like, actually, take a moment to look at what that festival's interested in, mm. what stories they want to tell. And, you know, sometimes they have themes around each year. So just, you know, it's, it's worth thinking about, you know, because it's not cheap. <laughs> Submitting films cost money. Um, so... You know, it's it's just think about where your film fits, and I think that's yeah. So, so that's what we're trying to do. But we we wanted to get it finished this year so that we can have it playing next year, so that people have a chance to see it next year. Yeah, no, <coughs> that that makes sense. All right, so I mean, I realise we have been talking for a long time, so <laughs> so um, I I appreciate that. But um, two two things before we dust. Okay, so. What, out of all this process, what have you kind of taken from it all? Um, oh, interesting. Uh, what, as a filmmaker or as a person? or Like, either, like both, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, has it taught you stuff about yourself? Has it given you a new insight into the way you direct or collaborate? Uh, I think it's, there's been a lot that I've, it's kind of reaffirmed a lot of things, um, more than anything else, I think. Um, but it's also, it's given me incredible amount of confidence moving forward. Because um, <clears throat> like I said, it's like, I just, you know, it's, it's a huge assumption to think you can make a feature film. Or I think it was for me. It was he. I always thought like, what? Why the hell do I think I can do this? You know, I've, I've got there's no evidence. It's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I've done short stuff. I've done, you know, ten minutes. I've done twenty minutes. But that's a whole different ball game. Um, but I think, I think the, the most important thing is I think it's just the satisfaction that comes from achieving something that's basically a bucket list. It's like I've wanted to make a film for so long, you know, and it's working in the industry and just trying to make it happen and you know and then just sort of sort of going okay i'm gonna it's a huge thing to invest in yourself you know mm. i think to, to to literally put your money where your mouth is you know quite literally and i think it was that's just it that's been the most satisfying thing i think it's just been sort of just being able to do this thing that I've always wanted to do, you know, and to do it on my own terms, you know, to just sort of go, right, I'm, this is the film I'm going to make and I'm going to make it. 
because again, when you work in commercials and, uh, and online content and things like that, you're ultimately always, you know, having someone else sign off on your work. So it, it's nice to be able to be in a position where you feel free to make choices. And I guess, yeah, in terms of learnings, it's, yeah, it's tricky. I think I'm still, I'm still figuring out what it, what it is that I've learned because it's not over yet. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think, because I remember just immediately after the shoot, like Stephen asked me, he's like, oh, what do you think you've learned? I was like, I don't know. I don't know yet. It's just, it's still, I'm still in it. I'm not finished yet. I think, I think once it's out there and people are seeing it, I think that's the end of the process. You know, I think once it's living somewhere on its own and people are making a choice to press play, that's, that's when I feel like I'll, I'll have ended this journey. Mm. And so I'm still in the last stages. So I don't think I've really had a chance to reflect on it yet. You know, and it's, I've just been staring at green screens for, <laughs> for six months, you know. So, but I mean, I've learned an awful lot about VFX and compositing. And I've been really impressed by just how far technology's come and mm. the software that's out there is just, you know, especially in like blenders, like a bit of software I'd never heard of. And, you know, it's like an incredible piece of 3D compositing and graphic software that is completely free, you know, it's like, and it's incredible. You can do some amazing Hollywood level stuff on it and it's just there, you know, open source, it's just there for you to use. And I think there's, I've learned that the, yeah, I've learned there's a massive world out there of filmmaking resources and tools that I just didn't even know about, you know? So it's, uh, it's an exciting time to be a filmmaker for sure. Okay, and finally, any advice that you would give to anyone looking to do a similar thing? Not, not uh, you know, your film, but their, their own, their own visions. Yeah, um, you know what, it's such a cliche to say it, but, you know, just do it. Like, honestly, it's ridiculous, but, you know, it's, it, today, more than ever, it's possible to make, a really good film, you know, with really little, really meager resources, you know. The most important thing I'd say, though, is find, find your team. Find your fellow filmmakers that you can work with. Because, the, sure, it's possible to make some sort of film content where it's, you're doing everything. Write, direct, star in it, edit, do the sound. Obviously, there's loads of YouTubers doing that. But if you want to tell a sort of narrative story or a documentary or you know just anything that's fiction based involving you know several characters you need a team you need mm. other actors you need sound recorders you need makeup you need a stylist you need an art director you need you know, but and everyone's out there looking for someone to work with so in this community of filmmakers there's somebody out there that's like man i just want to meet a director or oh man i just want to work meet uh, a cinematographer that I want to work with or I just I hope I can get to edit this or everyone's out there so I'd say the one piece of advice I'd say is go out there and meet people you know meet other filmmakers talk to them find out you know fi and find your people find your people and then once you found them make a plan make a plan that's the one thing one bit of advice I would actually definitely give is <coughs> if you want to make a film pick a date 
pick a weekend, pick a date, say, right, on this day, I'm shooting this film. And then you have to, right? You've got to. You've got to find mm-hmm. the team. You've got to put it together. So make that commitment because that will push you in a way that nothing else will. And also, it's, it makes it much easier to talk to people. You say to somebody, oh, I want to shoot a film. You know, do you want to help me with my film? Well, when are you shooting? I'm shooting on this date at this place. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. like, okay, great. If you say, well, you know, I want to shoot in a few months. Like, okay, cool. Well, let me know near mm. the time. Yeah. Pick a date. You know, find a date. Work towards that date. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, I just think that that's, that would be my one piece of advice to actually make sure you do it, you know. And then, you know what? If you get to that date and it's just you, find something to shoot on that's just you on that day, you know. But whatever happens, shoot on that day. Mm. So that would be my advice. Well, no, that's great. Yeah, it makes sense. And human, thank you very much for this opportunity. It's been great talking to you. And, um, yeah, update us when everything is done and you know the film's ready to you know send out into the world absolutely absolutely. thank you for having me no worries man no worries thank you very much man and so people to find details on the indiegogo and for the trailer um just go to the details of this episode Okay, so I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed that interview, um, the reviews and everything this episode. You know what I mean? I, you know, I think you can see how, yeah, it was long, but it was well worth it, right? All right, we're going to end with a little film news. And fans of... Um, ah, dear, oh dear, man. Fans of David Peterson's comic book mouse guard Uh, unfortunately the film is no longer going to be happening at 20th century fox it was um all everything is set uh pre-production done the cast is there you know everything was set to um begin in a couple of weeks but um, yeah, Disney have reportedly pulled, pulled the plug. You know what I mean? This is, like everything is reports, but at the moment the report is that yeah, Disney have pulled the plug. Um, like supposedly, um, like I think a bit of the indication is that the idea of Fox as a studio. Is for um, lower budget films and stuff that is PG 13 R rated. So I don't know, that's a report. But um, word is that um, Ross Ritchie, Stephen Christie, and Matt Reeves have. Um, have been allowed to shop the project to um, other studios so if it is dead at Disney it may be picked up by someone else so yeah wait and see people wait and see okay well it has you mean that's just the first like there's been a lot happening at Disney of late you know what I mean there's been a lot of um, a lot of big news so um 
you know, there was a Star Wars trailer for the Rise of the Skywalkers the other day um, and the big investment call. Well, on news of, um, you know, Star Wars, after this next film, word is there is going to be a little bit of a hiatus, you know? Um, but uh, Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy, recently spoke to TH, THR um, about the whole situation. And she said this We knew we were going to close this up We knew that even before we started The Force Awakens We are looking at the next saga We are not just looking at another trilogy We're really looking at the next 10 years or more Rise of Skywalker is the culmination of the Skywalker saga It's by no means the culmination of Star Wars I'm sitting down now with Dan Weiss and David Bienoff Producers behind Game of Thrones And Ryan Johnson We're all sitting down to talk about where do we go next We've all had conversations about what the possibilities might be but now we're looking to lock it down. So, um, yeah, both Wise Bianoff and Johnson, they've, um, they both got, uh, you know, reportedly their, uh, their own set of trilogies that they've been working on. So, who knows what's happening, if they're going to tie those together. You know, Kennedy... Um, the other day said that they were they always had the idea of doing a Knights of the Old Republic adaptation. So um yeah, I don't know man. Who who knows what's happening with that? But luck you know, I'm just happy that we're not gonna have a load of films just churned out. Because you know we saw with solo. The quality goes down when that happens So that's good um, Other big news uh, CEO Bob Iger is, um, is stepping down And this is what he had to say At the recent Investor Day presentation I've been CEO since October 2005 Man I, I didn't, you know, it just seemed like it was the other day that he started, but yeah. And as I've said many times, there's a time for everything, and 2021 will be the time for me to finally step down. I've been engaged with the board for quite some time, and there's discussions about a succession, and they've been engaged in the succession process. We continue to feel that they will be able to identify my successor on a timely enough basis, so this company has a smooth transition. Which is big, man, because you think about all the stuff that Iger has done, you know, he was definitely behind the acquisition of Pixar, Marvel and Lucasfilm 
he was also a big proponent of the um, Fox merger. And he was also pushing for um, Disney Plus. So, whoo, you know what I mean? What what will Disney be like with someone else at the helm? You know what I mean? That, that will be interesting. 2021 will definitely be interesting. Because, um, yeah, you also think about what else might happen in 2021 because that's when all the um, the Netflix Marvel deals expire. So, uh, yeah, you know, we could be seeing like Daredevil, Iron Man, Iron, ugh, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones and all of that popping up on Disney Plus. Who knows, man? Who knows? But speaking of Disney Plus, all the big news that we've been waiting for came out at that same investors call. So um, it's going to be launching on the 12th of November. Um, It's going to be an ad free service that's available on Gaming consoles, smart TVs, web browsers, tablets, mobile devices, and connected streaming devices. Uh, It will also, like Netflix and BBC iPlayer, it will allow downloading of content to um, make things accessible offline. And it will be available in a 4K HDR. It's um gonna be six ninety nine um per month or sixty nine ninety nine on an annual subscription. Uh, in the first year, it will have seven thousand. 500 episodes, 25 original series, and 400 library movie titles, and 100 recent theoretical film releases. So that's big, you know. Um, at launch, we're going to have the, Mandalay- the Mandalorian, but as I mentioned in um, Echoes from the Void yesterday... We're going to get an episode each week, you know, so don't expect to be uh, able to sit down on that first day and watch it all. Um, You're going to have Captain Marvel and at least 11 other MCU films and several Marvel animated series. You're going to have all the Star Wars movies plus Rebels and Clone Wars. Uh, You're going to have... Disney's entire 13 film signature collection The first 30 seasons of The Simpsons The live action Lady and the Tramp film The World According to Jeff Goldblum A reality series High School Musical The Musical The Series Bit of a mouthful uh, numerous unscripted original series, 250 plus hours of National Geographic content, uh, 
to catalogue films including Avatar, Mary Poppins, The Rocketeer, Tron, Disney Channel content, 100 plus films, 5,000 plus episodes including Boy Meets World, I did like that show, DuckTales, the um, 1987 version and the 2016 version, Kim Possible, I also like that, That's So Raven, uh, I really hope their boy, um, no, um, The Wonder Years, actually I don't know if that was Disney, I think that was Disney, uh, if they have The Wonder Years, that would be awesome, um, within the first year, we'll also be getting all Disney theoretical releases from 2019 onwards, all Pixar movies and shorts, Marvel series The Falcon and The Winter Soldier and What If, the new Phineas and Ferb movie and the entire series, Monsters at Work, the Monsters Inc. series, Diary of a Female President, Love, Simon and The Sandlot series, Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 7, um, a making of Frozen 2 documentary, uh, original movies Noel, Timmy Failure, Stargirl and Togu, and within the second year, we're going to have Wonder Vision, that's the um, Wonder and um, Vision TV series, and the Loki TV series, also the new Hawkeye TV series, we're going to have the um, the Rogue One prequel TV series as well, so um, yeah, that's pretty damn, pretty damn big, right, um, yeah, you know, um, I think in the US they're going to be also kind of packaging Disney Plus up with ESPN Plus and Hulu. So you could buy it all in a bundle. Um, and after it's launched in the US, they are looking to roll it out into Europe, Latin America and Asia. All right, people. So, um. Yeah, that's it for another episode. Um in the um in the episode details, I'm going to include the trailer for Beyond Existence. So, uh yeah, go on for that and also a link if you want to um you know, donate towards the 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 film. Um so yeah, all right people, I will see you next Thursday for another episode. Enjoy your week. Um, yeah, and uh, remember, end game next week. What? What?